This is Morning Edition from NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley, and it's time for the New Hampshire News Recap. We're getting into this week's top headlines. President Joe Biden was in Portsmouth earlier this week to talk about investing in infrastructure. COVID hospitalizations remain low, but long COVID cases are on the rise in the state. And it is Earth Week. We'll chat about the latest environment and energy news. Joining us now is NHPR's Mara Hoplamazian and the Concord Monitor's Teddy Rosenbluth. Good morning to you both. Good morning, Rick. Good morning. Thanks both for coming in today. Um, I want to, you know, point out it is Earth Week. It's Earth Day today, in fact. And Mara, what kinds of action have you been seeing across the state this week? And what kinds of events are going on to commemorate? Right. Earth Day, biggest day of the year for a climate reporter. <laughs> That's right. Um, it's, it's your big beat. There were there were a few events this week. A fifth grade class at the Oyster River Middle School gave a tour of their solar array and some other features in their new net zero building. Today, a universally accessible trail is opening up in Manchester at the Cedar Swamp Preserve. Um, and there are some rallies today and tomorrow in Concord and Keene, Durham and Portsmouth where organizers are going to be calling for more action on climate change and and for climate justice. I'm covering the one in Portsmouth this afternoon. That one's led by students, um, so I'll be out there today. And a group of healthcare workers got together, which I know Teddy covered. Okay. Yeah, Teddy, you reported this week on that that group of of workers. They're advocating for for governments to take stronger action uh, to address health impacts from climate change. What are some of the ways that, that doctors and other healthcare workers are seeing climate change have an effect on people's health? Yeah, so New Hampshire providers are already seeing some really concerning health impacts of climate change. Um, I spoke to a pediatrician this week in Concord who said the number of tick-related calls have just gone through the roof, Mm -hmm. um, and that's likely because, you know, warmer temperatures are more hospitable for ticks. Um, They're also seeing more cases of asthma brought on by air pollutants uh, and cases of heat stroke because of dangerously hot summers. I know that uh, for both my cats and my dog, we have to do a regular tick check. They are... In just everywhere this year. Yeah. How's the group of healthcare workers uh, trying to help? What, what are they hoping to accomplish? Yeah, so the group is called Healthcare Workers for Climate Action, and they're a newer advocacy group. Um, and I think they're hoping to use their you know nonpartisan position as doctors and nurses to kind of convince politicians and the public that this is an issue that warrants immediately immediate policy changes. So, for example, policies that disincentivize fossil fuel use. Uh, the group already has about 2,500 healthcare providers across the state, uh, and it continues to grow every day. Maura, I know you reported on, on a group of people taking action to help strengthen the regional food system as climate change poses a threat to the global food system. How are folks trying to build up that infrastructure to produce more food you know, closer to home? Right. So Food Solutions New England is this group that's been calling for more food to be produced in New England for a long time. They're saying as we start seeing more frequent extreme weather events, you know, things like wildfires and droughts in parts of the world where lots of our food comes from, one way to make sure we have a more resilient food system is to grow more of our food in New England. But we need a lot more infrastructure to make that work. And in particular, livestock farmers that I've spoken with say there's a big lack of animal processing capacity in New England. You know, in New Hampshire, there's only four USDA licensed slaughterhouses, according to this legislative report from last year. The state has no USDA-inspected facilities for poultry processing. Um, So I I talked with a a few livestock farmers who are working on making this new kind of processing facility um, just across the border in Maine. That's going to provide a little bit more capacity and just another option for farmers in the region who have livestock operations who need to, you know, find capacity to bring their animals. Sure, it's a very expensive and I I imagine very tough uh, process to to ship these animals off to other states for processing and far away. And and it's expensive. And and of course, that takes fossil fuels to do that. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So but isn't given that isn't building more infrastructure itself, though, around meat processing kind of counterintuitive to some climate goals? I mean, 
eating less meat would have a big impact on reducing greenhouse gases, wouldn't it? Right. Yeah. So climate experts say, you know, they agree eating less meat could really help us get where we need to go in terms of reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Methane, you know, which comes from cows, is a big contributor to climate warming emissions and producing and processing the food that livestock eat also produces emissions. And as you said, transportation. But in the U.S., about 90 percent of people eat meat. It's a really big part of a lot of people's diets. And so if we're thinking about ways to make our food system more resilient um, and you know, creating a food system in New England that could f- have, you know, take more responsibility for feeding a lot of people. It could be an important part of that system. One vision food solutions New England has put forward is getting 30% of our food from within the region by 2030. And they're not prescriptive about whether people should or shouldn't eat meat, but, you know, they say they're picturing a world where people eat less meat. That's also what the farmers I spoke with said, you know, the farmers who are, who are producing meat, they say their vision is for people to eat less meat and meat that's farmed and produced more responsibly. It's Morning Edition from NHPR. We're recapping this week's news with Concord Monitor's Teddy Rosenbluth and NHPR's Mara Hoplamazian. If you've got some questions about what's going on in the state, you can always inform our reporting by emailing us at voices at nhpr.org. Teddy, I want to turn to COVID. I want to take some time to talk about your reporting on long COVID cases here in New Hampshire. There, there's a lot of researchers that still don't know about uh, the effects of long COVID, but what do we know as far as symptoms are concerned and how healthcare providers are able to determine whether someone has so-called long COVID? Yeah, so long COVID is a disorder that's kind of difficult to pin down. It you know, presents differently in different people and has somewhat generic symptoms. So fatigue, anxiety, depression, and, you know, quote unquote, brain fog. Uh, there isn't like one test that a doctor can give you to tell you if you have long COVID, uh, which is part of the reason why researchers think this is a pretty underdiagnosed and untreated disorder. Uh, What we do know is uh, we know a little bit about the typical person who develops long COVID. So clinicians said that many of the patients referred to the clinic tend to be women, uh, tend to be middle-aged, and uh, usually had a pretty mild case of COVID when they were first infected. You talked about one of the few clinics in New England that focuses on long COVID uh, in your reporting, um, and they're seeing a surge in patients. What did clinicians have to say about about that increase? Yeah, so Dartmouth Health has one of the few long COVID clinics, um, and in March, they saw the number of referrals really just skyrocket from about uh, 66 in February to 111 in March. Uh, And doctors said that they expect that number to keep increasing. So I think what we're seeing is really the aftermath of the Omicron surge this past winter, which infected more than 100,000 people in New Hampshire. We're at this point in the pandemic, uh, Teddy, where there's a huge push to to return to normal, roll back COVID safety measures, uh, drop mask mandates and so on. Airlines and transit companies across the country uh, not requiring masks anymore. Uh, What did clinicians have to say about the continued threat of long COVID as, as we go forward? Yeah, so the doctor I spoke to at uh, Dartmouth's clinic said that long COVID isn't something people typically take into account when they're making decisions about, you know, whether to go to a restaurant or wear a mask. Um, But he said maybe it's something that people should be taking into account. Uh, This can be a really serious disorder that can severely impact daily life activities and even, you know, your ability to work. Um, A woman I talked to who has had long COVID for about two years said that she still has persistent headaches and brain fog that has really impacted her quality of life. Uh, and I can imagine going forward, we're going to see more cases of this, but but also, you know, we want to emphasize most cases are still mild, but we just don't know the long-term effects of, of long COVID. Right. Yeah. 
Um, President Joe Biden was in New Hampshire this week, and I want to talk a little bit about that and what he was pushing as far as infrastructure is concerned. Mara, you were in Portsmouth Tuesday covering his speech. What were some of the highlights from that? Yeah, so Biden gave a really optimistic picture um, of the country. He focused on federal dollars coming into New Hampshire from the bipartisan infrastructure law, specifically about this $1.7 million coming to Portsmouth Harbor. It's going to be used to dredge a part of the harbor and make it easier for ships to navigate this channel there. Um, that funding came on the heels of another project he highlighted to widen a turning basin and the harbor. But he also talked about other infrastructure projects in New Hampshire. You know, He talked about funding coming into the state for roads and bridges, like the bridge he visited in Woodstock. Um, in November. He talked about funding for PFAS remediation, funding to replace lead water pipes, um, bringing more broadband access to New Hampshire, building resilience to extreme weather, which we know is getting more common as the climate changes. Um, So he was really just sort of talking about the full range of things that are coming um, with this bipartisan infrastructure law. He also used the the remarks as a chance to talk about how he's working on lowering prices that consumers are seeing. You know, he said those higher prices are coming from Russia's war in Ukraine and from supply chain disruptions caused by the pandemic. He also focused on the way that these infrastructure improvements from the bipartisan infrastructure law can help ease some of those kinks in the supply chain. Yeah, and he was really he's doing this kind of rural state push on the infrastructure bill itself mm-hmm. and, and trying to emphasize uh, you know some of the benefits this could have for rural communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know tons of fossil fuels are, are transported through Portsmouth Harbor, but but some leaders are looking to the harbor as a place to support new renewable energy resources. How are they looking to make that happen? Right. So according to the White House, 85 percent of New Hampshire's home heating oil comes through Portsmouth Harbor. So it is this hub. Um, But Biden made this really brief mention of another kind of energy resource, offshore wind. He kind of quipped that widening the turning basin in the harbor makes it easier for larger ships to get through, like the kind that are needed to hold the really big parts that make up offshore wind turbines. Some environmental advocates in New Hampshire say offshore wind provides this really big opportunity for the state to get involved in clean energy, and leaders in the state are looking to the port um, in Portsmouth as a place that could support that industry. It was part of a report the state released in February on New Hampshire's ability to provide infrastructure for offshore wind development in the Gulf of Maine, and the executive director of the Peace Development Authority has said he sees big opportunities for Portsmouth's role in global supply chains, especially when it comes to constructing and maintaining offshore wind. That's interesting. You mentioned global supply chains. What did local business owners have to say about some of the concerns they're seeing um, as far as supply is concerned? Right. So Tuesday morning, ahead of the president's visit, I I got to speak with some business owners in Portsmouth. Um, The owners of G. Wilkers on Main Street, which is a book and toy shop, said they've been having trouble getting their products, especially around the holidays. They don't get their products from Portsmouth Harbor, but they said they've heard about ships sitting out on the water for weeks at a time. Um, And they also said cost has become an issue. You know, wholesalers have raised their prices as much as 30 percent, they said, which was a hike that they then had to pass to consumers. Um, They were excited about Biden's visit that, you know, they had a children's book about the president featured for the day in their store. But they said the bigger supply chain challenge they've seen isn't port infrastructure, but the worker shortage. Um, That was also what the owners of Papa Wheelie's, a bike shop in Portsmouth, said. one person told me the biggest problem she's seeing there is that there aren't enough people to drive the trucks that are bringing their bikes in. And, um, you know, when she thinks of Portsmouth becoming a bigger hub for moving goods around, she's worried about staffing. You know, are people going to get paid enough to live in the area? Are there enough workers um, to staff these supply chain jobs? Yeah, it's it's a chain and, and, and every link of the chain is, is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, Maura and Teddy, I want to ask both of you what else you're working on right now and the upcoming stories that listeners should be on the lookout for. Um, Maura, let's start with you. 
Sure. Well, I'll be in Portsmouth for uh, this afternoon for that rally. Um, I'm also working on a story right now about PFAS chemicals in soil. Those are you know, a group of man-made chemicals that can have harmful health effects. Um, we're working on a story about how the Department of Environmental Services is working on regulating those in, in soil in New Hampshire. Okay. We'll keep a, a, an eye and an ear out for that. Teddy, how about you? What are you working on? Yeah, so I'm working on a story right now that looks at how hospitals are adjusting to this new involuntary emergency admission process that brings court hearings into emergency rooms, which is something that hospitals have pushed back on for a while. Okay, we'll be watching for that as well. I want to thank both of you for joining us on the Friday New Hampshire News Recap and HPR's Mara Hoplamazian and the Concord Monitor's Teddy Rosenblum. Thanks so much. Thank you. And don't forget, you can find more of their work always at nhpr.org and conqueredmonitor.com. By the way, if you missed any part of today's segment or if you want to catch up on previous weeks, you can always find the New Hampshire News Recap wherever you get your podcasts. It is available there. We'll be here next Friday as well with a fresh recap and more top headlines. I'm Rick Ganley, and this is Morning Edition from NHPR.